You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Jesus and John Wayne Among the Deplorables by Michael Young, March 11th, 2022, from The American Reformer. Evangelicalism has lost its way. It's a popular message on the left in the post-Trump era. The left never liked evangelicals to begin with. Too conservative, too anti-gay, too public in their objections to the prevailing secular creeds, they would say. But Trump, whom evangelicals supported in droves, gave their critics a new charge to level at them. Hypocrisy. These high and mighty moralizers, the left said, were willing to abandon any principle in pursuit of political power. They had no right to preach to others values they would not practice. The evangelical writer David French has been in the thick of this conversation, writing on the intersection of evangelical faith, politics, and corruption with such essays as Why Christians Bond with Corrupt Leaders, A Nation of Christians is Not Necessarily a Christian Nation, and Deconstructing white evangelical politics. Deconstruction is a hot topic in elite evangelicalism, French says. It's a word with many meanings. At its best, it can represent an honest, critical re-examination of not just your personal faith, but also the theology and behavior of your faith community. We should be in a constant process of interrogating our own beliefs and actions in light of the person and example of Jesus Christ. White evangelical politics are due for deconstruction, and I quote. Enter Kristen Kobe's Dumez, whose book, Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation, is cited by French as, quote, a compelling and challenging argument, end quote. Dumez provides a historic account of, quote, the path that ends with John Wayne, end quote, contraposed to Christ, quote, as an icon of Christianity, end quote, of, quote, rugged, heroic masculinity embodied by cowboys, soldiers, and warriors to point the way forward, end quote. It is the account of a church that has commodified Christianity, intertwined faith and right-wing politics, and, quote, invoked a sense of peril in order to offer fearful followers their own brand of truth and protection, end quote, and stoke, quote, Evangelical militancy, end quote. It is a church that has forgotten Christ. We could concede for the sake of argument some aspects of her account. The various moral failures of major figures in evangelicalism are well documented. We could also dispute other claims as various reviewers have here, here, and here. However, so as not to be duplicative of the work of others, we will focus on the foundational problems of her theoretical framework. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. That was a selection from an article that was sent to me by my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez. An article he sent me Saturday, which I only just now, as of yesterday, am getting around to really engaging with. Today is Wednesday. It is not Saturday. It is not Sunday. Nor even Monday. Today is Wednesday. And it's funny, I have to 
maybe eat a little crow here after having recently talked about people not responding to text messages. It's too easy to not respond to text messages. Here I am several days after, three days after, actually, finally getting around to responding to his sending me this article. I might be a little bit of a hypocrite myself, although I will assure you, as I assured him when I did finally get a chance to respond, my reasons for not responding sooner were entirely innocent. Of course. Of course. We had the Polk kiddos over on Sunday afternoon after church. Had a really good time having them over. They're really well-behaved kiddos, and our kiddos get along with them. And they just were hanging out, six kiddos, and our eight, plus the Chavez kiddos came down the street. Two of their kiddos came over. I keep using the word kiddos. I need to find a children. I find a different term. Children is also uh, an acceptable term. But we had some Chavez kiddos over. I apparently like that word. We had the Polk children, the Chavez children, and our children hanging out. And that was all of Sunday, aside from going to church in the morning. And Monday was all of a sudden, hey, we're going to tidy up the yard. We're going to gather up trash from the front and the back and the side yards. Load it up into the truck, take it to the landfill, get some stuff out of here, get some bunk beds ordered, get some credit cards paid off, get some things in order, get our house in order. And then yesterday was a bit busy as well, another trip to the landfill. Also, my wife had an appointment, also small group last night. But between my wife's appointment in the afternoon and small group in the evening, and also unclogging a kitchen drain that someone, I think, accidentally poured some grease or some butter down. That was fun. Between those things, I was able to finally read this article, and you should read it in in its entirety. Read it completely. I will put a link to this article in the episode description, so you can go check it out for yourself. I think this is a book I need to read, Jesus and John Wayne. Killer title, by the way. Just great title. I love that you put Jesus and John Wayne together in the same sentence. Really cool. Don't love the subtitle, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Eh, feels a little bit like the wrong kind of broad brush, right? That that feels like you're painting the side of the house with acid, straight up hydrochloric acid, not paint. But all the same, I have already bought the book after reading this article. I plan to listen to it soon and then do a book review. So stay tuned if you don't already subscribed to this podcast, do so now. You can go to the com 
put in your email address, you'll get emails direct to your inbox every time a new episode drops. Also, if you listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Audible Podcasts, pretty much wherever, wherever you're listening right now, go ahead and hit subscribe. Stay tuned for that. You won't want to miss it. The long and short of it is, as the author of this review at The American Reformer points out, as Michael Young points out, Jesus and John Wayne is about the business of deconstructing American evangelical Christianity. And now why especially does American evangelical Christianity need to be deconstructed, she feels, because so many evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. That's really what it comes down to. That's really what it comes down to. We need to dissect the evangelical church in America, figure out how it ticks so that we can figure out how to hack it, how to hijack it, and how to turn it to our purposes. Clearly, this thing is broken because it's not doing what we want it to. Now, the very first question we should ask when that becomes apparent, that evangelical Christianity in America is not doing what a progressive wants it to, the very first question we should ask is, should it? Should it be doing what you want it to? Should it be reorganizing itself along the lines that you imagine? Is that actually a liberation or is that enslavement to sin? That should be our question. If it truly is liberation, and this is the good Lord's will, and he would be pleased with the expression of Christian faith along the lines you want to organize the church in America. Proceed. And in fact, please talk me into it so I can help you. Please get me on board so that I can work with you to make this happen. If the church in America, however, would not please God better if it were reorganized along the lines you suggest or insist or demand, then I have to fight you. I, I, I just simply, I, I have to, I have to oppose what it is that you're saying, what it is that you're teaching, what it is that you're arguing for, because we're trying to be about our father's business or else what's the point? It's not a new idea by the way, this should be noted, it is not a new idea to take the church and hijack it because what you really care about is pursuing your political aims. Now, further down in this article, and I'm sure I'll get into this when I listen to the book, and I'm sure we'll come back to this when I do the review of the book, but further down, there's a lot of criticism of how church history has of it has unfolded ever since Constantine the Great influenced the Council of Nicaea to adopt the Nicene Creed, to institutionalize, as the author sees it, what is Orthodox Christian faith and what isn't. What is Orthodox? What is heterodox? What is heretical? And let's define it right here once and for all. 
the author of Jesus and John Wayne sees it as problematic that Constantine was the emperor and that Constantine was very involved in the Council of Nicaea. Now, why is that problematic, you might ask? Well, of course we know the reason. The reason is because Constantine was pretending, according to the theory, according to the accusation implied or explicitly stated, Constantine was concealing his selfish political motives in piety, pretending to be very interested in the doctrine and practice of the church, very committed to that, but all the while he was just using the church, using Christianity as a way of consolidating power for himself. Now, that claim has been debunked, I think, very well other places. I find that to be a not terribly credible claim and view the more I think about it, although I have shared that question. I have shared that skepticism myself, but I don't think it holds up the more I think about it. I think he was a flawed character. I think he definitely had some wicked uh, tendencies, attitudes. His exercise of power is the chief complaint that we can level at him. His way of engaging with his family is a major source of concern. But I do think that the good Lord used him after reading Eusebius and Augustine. I do think that the Lord used Constantine to bring an end to a much greater slaughter, a wholesale slaughter of Christians, a persecution and a hunting of Christians across the Roman Empire. I think that was a good thing, even though it brought along its own attendant challenges. What we do if we only see the downside of what Constantine did is we miss and don't even realize necessarily that we've missed what was going on right before Constantine came to power. And we suppose from our ivory towers, from our place of comfort, that a little persecution again would be good for the church. It would really be a good thing, actually, if we started getting arrested, thrown in prison, tortured, put to death, fed to lions, sawn in two, beheaded, boiled alive, flayed for our Christian faith again, per local magistrates, per angry mobs of idolaters. We, we want to say that would be a really good purifying thing for the church, and it would really prove that we mean it. And we say that we believe in Jesus, that we are followers of Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. I mean, yes, can you prove that you are a Christian by how you bravely face persecution and death? Yes. And yet what Jesus said was that you would love one another. People will know that you are his disciples because you love one another. How do we do that well? How do we love God? How do we love one another? Well, oh, we start by paying attention to what God said. We start by reading his word. We start by obeying what he's commanded. But this really gets at authority. This really gets to what is so problematic 
for the progressive types. They don't like being beholden to the commands of God. They don't like being beholden to the commands of anything or anyone other than their own imagination. The flavor of the month is exciting and it also has a kind of lottery quality because they might get to choose the flavor of the month. They might get to help steer this in a new and exciting direction. It is, as the article explains further down, according to the inspirations that Kristen Kobes Dumez cites, including Michel Foucault, most notably. It is a exciting, liberating, empowering thing to engage in the process of deconstructing institutions, like, for instance, the American church, like, for instance, evangelical Christianity in America, like, for instance, the patriarchy, like, for instance, church history and the church fathers and the Council of Nicaea, like, for instance, Jesus and John Wayne. And this is always my question for the deconstructionists. How far do you deconstruct before you have completely obliterated the thing which you said you were trying to understand? At what point does it stop being a quest for understanding? And what point does it start becoming you're just destroying? You're not trying to understand so that you can steward this thing better. You're not trying to understand so you can be a faithful steward. You're you're trying to destroy it. You're trying to pick it apart. You're trying to kill it. Not only are you going to kill it, but you're going to burn it. And then you're going to scatter the ashes over the waters when you're done so that there is no trace left in the end except your criticism, except the blood on your hands and the ashes on your pants. So the trouble here lo and behold, this is why it's Jesus and John Wayne. The trouble here, as Dumez sees it, is that American Christians embraced a toxic masculinity form of Christianity. Now, what is toxic masculinity? Good question. Depending on who defines it, depending on how broadly we allow it to be defined, toxic masculinity could be just masculinity. Everything is a social construct. Everything needs to be deconstructed. And you spend all your time putting out these little brush fires started by the deconstructionists, started by the progressives, started by the leftists, most of whom are useful idiots, behind whom are Marxists who love Satan and they hate God, who love envy and coveting what belongs to their neighbor, who embrace and then institutionalize their jealousy for anyone who has something pleasant and nice and laudable and enjoyable and good and beautiful and true that they don't have. Toxic masculinity, in my experience thus far, is almost always defined so broadly as to be synonymous with masculinity. Now, the person criticizing toxic masculinity will immediately come back and say, 
oh ho ho, the fact that you think toxic masculinity is just masculinity goes to show that your brand of masculinity is toxic. Aha, aha, therefore we don't have to listen to you. It's the same exact game that the left plays on every other subject. How to be an anti-racist. Step one, go up to somebody who is white and call them a racist. Either A, they will agree with you and they'll say, yeah, I can be a racist sometimes. I should really work on that. I'm sorry. What can I do to be a better person according to you? In which case, good job. Congratulations. You win. Or B, they'll say, no, I'm not a racist. In which case, you come back with, Aha, that just goes to prove that you are a racist. And if you get upset at the insanity, the utter stupidity of such a circular reasoning that requires no proofs and is fueled by emotion and envy, by the way, again, and animus, personal animus and selfish ambition, if you get upset about this, well, then they will tack on an additional charge. Aha, not only are you a racist, but your white fragility is showing. See? And what you're doing is you are boxing in the dark with somebody wearing night vision goggles. They can see everything. You see nothing. They understand all mysteries. You understand nothing. And yet, this author at the American Reformer, Michael Young, has it exactly right. The end result of deconstructing everything is that you know nothing. Seeing through everything in the end means that you see nothing. You become blind. Sometimes a thing is just what it is. And you just look at it and you say, this is what it is. It's not a social construct. It is objectively what it is. And you accept that. And I I understand that our context matters, our culture matters. I understand that. But the dose makes the poison, and so do your reasons for employing these tools, these analytical tools. That's what CRT was called by the people who were trying to sneak it into the Southern Baptist Convention several years ago. They said, ah, well, we reject certain aspects of CRT but it's still a useful analytical tool. How can that be? How can it actually be a useful analytical tool? Please explain that to me. It's built on a faulty premise. How can it be a useful analytical tool? You're just playing a shell game right now with words. You're arguing semantics. What it really boils down to is that you're jealous of some men having more confidence, more assertiveness, more authority, more energy, more status than what you have. Men can do this. Ah, that man has power that I don't. He has the respect of the people around me, and I don't feel like I have that. And Joseph and his brothers... Joseph gets the coat of many colors. Joseph gets sent out to check on his brothers. It's actually when he's coming out to check on his brothers, per the father's instruction, that they see him coming and say, let's kill him. 
no, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into a pit, and then we'll decide what we want to do. Hey, you know what? He's in this pit. Why don't we sell him into slavery? Then we don't have his blood on our hands, plus we have the money. What are they killing him for? What are they selling him into slavery for? Because he has something that they don't. He has a nicer coat. He has their father's favor. I am fully persuaded that the majority of this whole toxic masculinity business boils down to that. I'm going to take this coat of many colors off of you. I'm going to tear it up. I'm going to pour a goat's blood on it. So it looks like some wild animal ripped you to pieces and this is all that's left. I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to lie. And I think that's another, that's another thing that's in the mix here with the progressives and the leftists who are fighting for the soul of the American church. And they don't fight clean and they don't fight fair. They fight dirty. Can I tell you something? They lie. They are not all good faith actors. And when we approach them all as if they're good faith actors, as if assuming that they have pure motives in arguing along the lines that they do, we err. And we will not see the sleight of hand. We won't perceive it. And we won't be able to defend against it. And we have to be able to defend against it. Because what is being attacked is not us first and foremost. It's God's authority. It is good doctrine. Sound doctrine. What they're bringing is false teaching. What they're bringing is a different gospel. The kind of repentance that they are demanding. Not just positing. Not just theorizing. Demanding is unbiblical. It's ungodly. The type of redemption, the type of sanctification they're arguing for is a perversion of what the Bible says about sanctification. It's an unholy concoction. At its root, it's from Satan. What its goal is, is to make the church divided and unproductive unfruitful. I think it's interesting that patriarchy is such a big deal to the same folks who are so against toxic masculinity. Do you notice that? I challenge you to point out someone talking about toxic masculinity who isn't also very concerned about the patriarchy. The two go hand in hand. The same folks who are saying we need to rid society, rid the church, rid the family, rid the home, rid our educational institutions, rid our corporations of so-called toxic masculinity are the same folks arguing against patriarchy. And what they do is they conflate a few things. For one, they conflate toxic masculinity with patriarchy. For another thing, they conflate the abuse of women and children, ultra-macho shows of strength, feats of strength, with patriarchy. And in the process, they do something we talked about in yesterday's episode. They paint with a broad brush, but they paint with acid. They're not painting with paint. They're painting with acid. 
You know, I had to run to the store yesterday, as I mentioned at the top of this episode. We had a drain that was clogged in our kitchen sink because somebody had poured down some grease or some butter, and then it did what it will do when it cools. It clogged this pipe. So water just wasn't draining at all at all. And I tried some hot water, emptying the sink with a pitcher, and then filling it up with hot water. Maybe that'll kind of melt things a little bit and get it moving again. No, that wasn't getting it, or at least it wasn't getting it quickly enough for our purposes. So then I come upstairs and I sit down on my computer and I'm trying to do some research on, okay, what can I use? What product can I find? Went on walmart.com and kingsupers.com, searched my local store for the type of Drano and the type of liquid plumber that is safe for garbage disposals, safe for all pipes, but also will combat grease. And lo and behold, I found the type of liquid plumber that is supposed to check all those boxes, ran over to Walmart, bought this, came home, and before I used it, I read the warning label on the back and read the ingredients, and I read it out loud so that my wife and the kiddos that were present could hear some of the warnings. But this liquid plumber, by the same power that enables it to clean out the drain and clear uh, grease or butter or fat uh, clog, by the same power, it will also really hurt you, really mess you up. If you get it in your eyes, if you get it on your skin, if you accidentally get it in your mouth. So you don't want this stuff splashing on you. You definitely don't want to put your hands down in it. And if you do any of those things, here's the first aid recommendations. It is toxic, right? This thing is actually toxic if you use it wrongly. It's not toxic when you use it in the right way. And what would be silly, what would be just plain silly, is if I said, okay, this is toxic if used in the wrong way, carelessly, so therefore, we're just going to content ourselves with this drain being no longer functional, right? That would be just plain silly. And given the time constraints, would it make sense for me to totally disassemble everything underneath the sink? Hey, my wife comes back from her appointment about three o'clock, seven is when our small group is meeting to have cake, celebrate several birthdays that are going on all at the same time. We got to leave at 6.30. Now it's 3.30. Now it's 4. Time's a ticking. Need to get access to the sink so we can wash some of these dishes before we go. Need to be able to refill the water purifier. That's easiest done with a pitcher from the sink. So what are we going to do? Well, I go and I get the stuff. And I read the instructions. And then I pour it down the drain. And I wait. And then 15 minutes later, check it out. Oh, yeah, still here. Still not drained yet. So I'm going to pour a little bit more. And then I'm going to run the garbage disposal. And it's like that with toxic masculinity, so-called. Do you have people who are taking masculinity, taking all this testosterone they're filled with? Do you have guys? Do you have men 
who are taking that masculinity and that testosterone and they're being careless with it. They're splashing it around. They're just pouring it on the people around them haphazardly in a way that hurts the people around them. They're just pouring it on themselves recklessly in a way that hurts themselves. You might very well have that. Yeah, sure, fine. But what you don't do is you don't say, because that guy over there, that joker over there, is abusing this thing, we're no longer going to put it on store shelves. There is, it's just not worth it, right? It's not worth carrying the thing because someone might misuse it. No, 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 no. What we've decided is sometimes you just have to use this because it's impractical. It's going to be a huge waste of time to take everything apart and clean it out piece by piece. So we're going to pour some of this down the drain, and that's going to do the trick. It's going to clean out the pipes. Don't get any on you, okay? Keep it where it belongs, and don't put it where it shouldn't be. Simple principle. That's a generally good principle, by the way, with regards to being an honorable man. But the, the trouble with campaigning against the patriarchy with an overly broad brush along the lines that these folks do is that pretty soon you find yourself painting over what God's Word says about men and women, about husbands and fathers, about leaders in the church. And pretty soon what you find yourself doing is working so hard to purge any deconstructed building block of the patriarchy from our expression of Christianity that you have no Christianity left. It's just gone. It's gone or if there's some vestige left, it's not Christianity. It's ruins. It's ruined. You deconstruct a building, and what you get is a ruined building. Literally. You deconstruct Christianity along the lines that the left wants to, and what you get is ruined Christianity. You don't get better Christianity. You get no Christianity. And I think that's the point. I think when, when the author of this Jesus and John Wayne book tells you from the top that her big inspiration is Michel Foucault. Michel Foucault? Really? Michel Foucault, the guy who said that all truth claims disguise a will to power. And now your book is going to highlight scandal after scandal in the American church, in American evangelicalism, as a way of saying, aha, see... All these guys were about all along was sex and power. The patriarchy, see, it's all about sex and power. It's all just a concealed will to power. Get the cowboys out of here. Get the soldiers out of here. Get the warriors out of here. Let's get the rugged, heroic masculinity out of here. Nah, we don't need that. That's toxic. No, what's toxic is that the soy boys run screeching into the night because they can't imagine anything worse than having to eat right, work out, build something with their hands, take the initiative. You know, I was listening to a Doug Wilson podcast here the other day. And the title of the 
episode was Testosterone Does Stuff. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself about how much flack I've heard here recently from various quarters about Doug Wilson. Now, some people are very concerned that he subscribes to the new interpretation of Paul, this new take on Paul, what have you. Some people are very concerned. I was just talking with a friend of mine here recently. Very concerned that Doug Wilson says some things that are very sexist. Now, it just so happens to be that this friend is also the same friend that I've expressed a lot of concerns about Paul David Tripp's book, Lead, to, Because Paul David Tripp, for his part, defines sexism so broadly that literally the Apostle Paul would be considered a sexist. And if you don't want, if you're going to try and purge leaders from the church who are sexist as broadly defined as you're broadly defining it, then how soon before you're doing the whole Thomas Jefferson thing, taking a razor blade to the Bible and cutting out each and every one of Paul's epistles? How soon? Where do we stop? Where do we stop in the deconstruction? For Thomas Jefferson, it was the miracles. He, he just couldn't, couldn't get with the idea that God occasionally suspends the laws of the universe, which he himself created the universe to follow because God wants to demonstrate his power. And Thomas Jefferson just couldn't get with that. No, no, no. The moral teaching, I'm good with that. That clicks. I like the moral teaching, but I don't like the miracles. That's ah, just, ugh. come on. That's not rational. That's not reasonable. But Doug Wilson gets dinged for being a sexist. And he apparently, supposedly, allegedly made some comments here recently about how women's hands are just the right size and all that to be making sandwiches for their husbands. And men's hands are just not very well suited to making sandwiches. And, oh, it's just so arrogant. That's just, ah, you got guys just eating this up and da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, oh, come on. Like, he was joking, right? Like, you know that he was joking. Oh, no, I don't think he was joking. No, he... I don't even have to have heard him to know that he was joking. He was... He was being an instigator on purpose, tweaking the nose of the crazy lefties who are obsessed with sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia now, Islamophobia before that. Although it's been a minute. It's been a minute since we've worried about Islamophobia. We probably do. Russophobia, on the other hand, totally fine. That's a good thing. There's no such thing as Russophobia. If you are a Russian, in fact, I think it might be just about time to round you up, put you in an internment camp. You, you can't, if you are Russian, you can't participate in sports. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that you just, you're not allowed to do anymore because it's your fault what's happening in Ukraine, right? Haven't seen this one before. No, 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 no. But also, tell me again about how America is this oppressive, terrible, horrible country because of the Japanese internment camps. Also, who was president when that happened? Who who oversaw that? What what was his political party? Oh, that's right. He was a Democrat. Yes. Okay. Just just to be clear. But Doug Wilson, uh, definitely in favor of the patriarchy, 
uh, I actually read his book, a good portion of his book. I didn't read the entire book, but I read a good portion of his book on marriage, how to exasperate your wife. And I thought to myself, you know, I actually, I think you're trying too hard to appease the feminists. I think you're trying too hard to appeal the mealy-mouthed, uh, appeal to the mealy-mouthed crowd in evangelical Christianity in America. You're trying so hard to extend an olive branch, they're not going to accept it. And also, meanwhile, you're sending some mixed messages here in the way that you're couching this, I think, you know, in, in trying to disprove this accusation that you're a misogynist, supposedly, just, just by virtue of, of believing that the father and the husband should be the head of the home, that the father and the husband is the head of his wife and his children. Because that, you, you get rid of that and you get exactly where we're at right now. And what needs to be deconstructed is that, that, that campaign. Deconstruct the deconstruction. That, when does that happen? When, when do we become nearly so concerned about what's behind the curtain with the folks like Kristen Cobas, Dumez, and Michel Foucault? When do we become more concerned about why they have a beef with John Wayne. Like, what is your problem with John Wayne? Not to say he was a, a perfect guy or anything, but boy, howdy, like of all the people that you could criticize, why start with John Wayne? Well, I'll tell you why. Because John Wayne is the typical, stereotypical, classic, quintessential American man. And you hate men. And you want all men become these mamby-pamby pajama boys. And you think that when that happens, when the men become more feminized and the women become more masculine, then we'll have peace. But what you're pursuing is androgyny. What you're pursuing is a rebellion against God's created order. Man was created first, on purpose. This gets referred back to in the New Testament. Paul says that men should not pray with their heads covered. Paul also says that women should not pray with their heads uncovered. It's a shame if they do. Paul also says that man was created first. Woman was not created first. But man is the glory of God. And woman is the glory of man. Because the woman was made out of the man. There's... Your problem. Your, your problem is not with this social construct. Your problem is with what God has instituted here. And the fact that you either don't see that, you don't see that God is the one who instituted this, tells me maybe your chief loyalty is not to Christianity and it's not to God's word. Maybe your chief loyalty is to the left. And you're just using your Christianity as a vehicle for associating with people who could be useful to the left. Now, I think all too often, Christians are not wise as serpents. They're harmless as doves, but they're not wise as serpents. Jesus said to be both. He said to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I send you out as sheep among wolves. And yet we believe, foolishly, that to say there is such a thing as a wolf is unloving. To say there is such a thing as a serpent is ungodly. 
To say that we should be as wise as a serpent. Not only there is such a thing as a serpent. Hey, that guy's a serpent. There is a serpent. There is a serpent. To say such a thing as a serpent exists and that we should be wise as it. And then talk amongst ourselves and say, hey, you know, like here's, here's what's being claimed. Here's what's being said. Here's what it means when they say this and this and this and this. Let's put two and two together to make four, not five. Read George Orwell. By all means, that that is a breakdown of our trusting God. No, you just need to trust God. Yes, you need to trust God, but that trust needs to inform your being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That trust needs to inform you taking it seriously when we're told, be sober and vigilant for your adversary. The devil goes about as roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You take it seriously. That's what sober means. But we don't take it seriously. And then the roaring lion comes along and it does devour some of our number. And then we act surprised. We need to not be surprised by these things. We wouldn't be surprised by these things if we were students of the word. By studying the word, we would renew our minds and we would be able to test when someone comes along railing about toxic masculinity. So I'm going to leave it there for right now. I have much more to say on this. Look forward to a book review of Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. At least one. I have a feeling it's going to be an upsetting task. But we will get through it, and we need to make sense of it. And I look forward to growing through that and growing more wise as serpents and harmless as doves, since we are sheep among wolves. I'm going to leave it there, though. Again, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.